This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. God bless you. You may be seated. Are you excited to be in church this morning? Yeah? Yeah, it's good to see faces, good, well, partial faces. Uh, I get to see some faces. Good to have you online today. We want to thank you uh, to the board and to the body, uh, to our body, to our family, church family. Thank you for your generosity and your words of appreciation on Pastor's Appreciation Day. Uh, a little bit of uh, just explanation. Uh, I was a little bit bothered last week by the picture that was put up of, of uh, Sasser, uh, because he is married and he has a better half, and her name is Tiffany. And everyone say Tiffany, right? She's part of that part of that part of that life there. So that's an incorrect picture. I just wanted to correct it. But can I tell you today? Uh, thank you for your appreciation. Thank you for your words. But in light of all that, I want to sp- speak of a special appreciation to my staff. Uh, my, my pastoral staff, our office staff, Brittany and, and Julie, Julie's teaching this morning, uh, we would not be able to do what we do. I could not do, Ron and I could not do without what we do without you guys. So would you give our staff a round of applause? Come on. Yes. They are amazing. Love them very much. Shout out to all who went to OYC. Everyone say OYC. OYC. Right? We could do like the OYC. See, I don't know. Is that backwards? Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Uh, Mike's the only one that's going to be honest with me. Go, no, Pastor, you're like backwards. Uh, uh, but OYC, thank you, Pastor Trenton and Allie and your team. Uh, they came and they served us, served your kids, served our youth. And there were some dynamic things that took place. Thank you for praying. Thank you for giving. Thank you for attending. All those things that are there. Today, just so you're aware of, uh, maybe some are aware of this, but today is uh, Mental Health Awareness Day. How many are aware of that? No one. Today is meant, some of you are. Today is Mental Health Awareness Day. And you're saying, Pastor Kevin, why are you bringing that up? Because can I tell you today, uh, in, we have never lived in a culture where our culture has been so mentally attacked. And so today we want to come and we want to bring attention to that. Not that we are exalting it, but we, are, we want to point your attention to the one who understands everyone who has a mind and his name is Jesus. Our sermon today is going to go a little bit along with this aspect of how do you keep mental health, and uh, it's a a sermon that I I believe is going to speak to your hearts, and I'm praying that it will speak to your hearts. Just as we've started last week, we started this series called Rhythms. Everyone say rhythms. Rhythms, this thing in our life that uh, needs to be there. The way we defined it, it was a strong, regular, repeated pattern a pulse, and we had our lovely band worship team come up here and sing a song out of rhythm and then sing one that was in rhythm. And the thing that stands out to us when something is out of rhythm, when we see that it is not flowing the way that it should, is we gave a definition and actually gave a word called dissonance. Everyone say dissonance. Dissonance is a long word, and simply put, it's discord, it's harshness. When we heard the music last week, there was a little bit of harshness when it was out of tune. Can anybody uh, relate to this discord or dissonance in our culture today? Can anyone sense the harshness of what is taking place in your soul as a result of what's taking place in our culture? The definition goes on and says it creates a tension. There's a clash resulting from a combination of two things that really don't go together. 
And I'm going to state the obvious today that there are two things that are in opposition for your life. One is the spirit and one is the flesh. One is God and one is Satan. There is a dissonance in our lives called spiritual warfare. Whether you are engaged in a culture or whether you are not, there is a spiritual culture surrounding your life that is in dissonance. And we have to come back and go, whose voice are we listening to? Can I tell you this, that every single morning when I get out of bed, there is a dissonance that's going on in my spirit. There is a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Am I going to obey what Kevin wants to do or am I going to obey what God is telling me to do? Does anyone experience that dissonance? Can I tell you this? I hope that you are. I hope you're feeling the tension. and Otherwise, you're like really, really godly or you're really, really bad and you don't care. Maybe some of you are much more godly than I am, but honestly, there is a place that there is a struggle between the good in my life and the bad in my life. Can everyone say amen to that? In the middle of all this dissonance, we have allowed culture to have constant access to our life, and we've given our lives constant constant access to culture. We're doing it through all of the media, through all the digital, through all the aspects, through the voices that are clamoring for our lives. Through the news channels and the media or the social media that you're looking at, there's this dissonance that has we have to come back and go, is this godly or is this not is this ungodly? Is this pro-Christ or is this anti-Christ? And we hear this word antichrist, immediately we jump to the book of Revelations. But can I tell you today, our culture is an antichrist culture. The culture in our church needs to be a pro-Christ culture. And there's, a, there's going to be a battle, there's going to be a dissonance between the two of them. Last week we looked uh, in, a, in a lengthy way of pro- showing you that in the, be- in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, God created all of those things in rhythm. Everyone say in rhythm. There was a sequence of events. There was a purpose for those events. There was how those events played off of one another. There was a rhythm. When we go back to the garden and we see what God did, God said his greatest creation was mankind. Mankind was a st- in, his, in the garden was stable. There was no anxiety. There was no stress. There was no sin. There was no corrupt flesh. There was nothing. Everything was in rhythm with God. And then we hear the story, and we know the story of how Satan comes in and he tempts Adam and Eve, and the scripture in Ephesians says that mankind began to strive on their own. And from that, very big, from that moment, mankind has been striving on their own. From that moment, mankind has been having this dissonance in their life, and they've been listening to the loudest voice that they could hear, and they've been shifting The good news is we see that Jesus comes and Jesus sets us a brand new rhythm. Jesus sets us a rhythm in the New Testament that says this is how, this is the way, everyone say the way. This is the way that I want you to live. You're to pattern your life after me. You're to look to me. You're to let me set the rhythm and the pace of your life. We looked at Matthew chapter 11 and it says this, Jesus said, come to me all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I We'll give you rest. Everyone just take a deep breath this morning, would you? Can I tell you that we can get going so quickly that we forget about who we're coming to? That we came to church this morning to sing a song and to hear a sermon. Can I tell you your purpose of coming this morning is not to hear me speak, but to hear Jesus speak to your heart. 
is to sense the Holy Spirit breathe life into you. Come to me, all who are weary and all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Not me, Jesus. Can I tell you that as much as I want to give you rest, as much as I want to pray prayers over you, as much as I want to see you healthy, I cannot physically do that for you. The only one that we can come to is Jesus, who knows us, who understands us. He says, my yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Everyone say gentle. And I am humble. Everyone say humble. Gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But I want to remind you this morning in this gentleness and this humbleness that it's not just him that is gentle and humble. He's asking for us to approach him with gentleness and humbleness. He's asking us to approach others with gentleness and humbleness. What I love about this passage of Scripture is Jesus says, my yoke is easy. This thing that I'm expecting you to step into is an easy thing where we can oftentimes today get confused even in this message that I'm going to preach is we go, well, no, Jesus, your way is easy. Can I tell you again, I want to remind you that easy does not mean there's no effort involved. There is going to be effort. It's going to be, there is a yoke that Jesus said you have to put on. He's going to do a lot of the heavy lifting for us, but there's effort in how we walk out our lives. Everyone say effort. Today, I don't want to come with an attitude that is prideful and arrogant. I don't want to come with an attitude today that is demanding. I want to come with the attitude of Christ that says is gentle and humble. How many, how, how many would rather have humble and gentle rather than proud and ugly, right? And so we want to come, we want to come with this approach this morning. So that's my heart. That's my desire. Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. It's been a theme across our culture today of losing heart, of not being steadfast in their walk with Christ. Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Everyone say renewed. Can I tell you today that God's desire and goal for your life is that you would be renewed day by day? He's not talking about the outwardly. You know, today it's evident to me when I get up in the morning and I need a shower that I'm wasting away. Thankfully, you took a shower this morning, otherwise we would think you're wasting away. There's an odor that goes along without cleaning. There's an odor that happens in our lives when our physical bodies begin to decay. And how many know that everyone is in a process of decay? You're in a process of aging. You're in a process of the outward body, regardless of what you do, regardless of all the lotions and the money and the cosmetics and the exercise and the foods that you eat. There's a destination for your body. Your body will decay. Now, I'm not knocking being physically active. I'm not knocking eating healthy. I'm not knocking at those things. I'm just saying, regardless of what you do, there is going to be an outcome. It's the same way spiritually, the same way inwardly. Paul comes, he says, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. How many love the idea of being renewed day by day? How many can honestly step back over the last 18 months and say, no, Pastor Kevin, I've been renewed day by day. I'm energized, I'm restored, I'm revived. I am pumped to get out of bed today and go face COVID once again. I am so excited to go face the tension in our culture. Can I tell you, that's what Paul is saying. 
He's saying that inwardly, because of this thing that's taking place within us, the Spirit of God can renew us, refresh us, restore us. What that does is that relieves this pressure on ourselves that says, no, I just have to get into his presence. So why we can come and we can make our statement today that we uh, connect with God, relate to people, and reach our world. That's our mission statement. But we are, we are determined to create an atmosphere for you to step in and connect with God. Because if you don't connect with God, everything we have to offer is going to waste away, except for the Word of God. He is the only one that can change your life. And so today, Paul gives us this answer, this promise that basically says, stop the chaos, stop the insanity internally. Everyone say, stop the insanity. insanity. Our definition for insanity, maybe you've heard this statement before, but insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. As you look at your life over the last 18 months, have you just got up and done the same thing over and over and over again and going, God, I want you refreshing, but where are you? God, I want my inward being to be renewed, but God, where are you? Can I tell you today that that's insane, our thinking, and so the title of our message today is stop the insanity, stop this process, stop this mental jumble in our brains that's allowing us to be taken down rather than lifted up. Our routine determines our habits, and our habits determine our life. What you do daily, what you do daily will will be what you become permanently. Today, I want you to realize that these things that we're talking about, these spiritual formation principles, these practices are truly that. They're things that you have to practice. Everyone say practice. But Pastor Kevin, I want something easy. I want you just to give me an easy answer. I just want to sit there and I want to absorb. Today, Jesus is coming. He's saying, come to me. Come to me. I will give you. I will take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm gentle and I'm humble. And you'll find rest for your souls. But there's, a, there's an expectation. You have to take your yoke, his yoke upon your life. And he promises that the burden is light. What's happened in religion today, what's happened in Christianity today is that we have put all these weights and these burdens and these expectations rather than just coming to Jesus. The reality is this, that most of us have built our habits around hurry. Most of us have built our habits around the fast-paced rhythm and the demand of life in our culture. We try to fit everything in. Would you imagine with me that all of us were designed as a thousand-piece puzzle? Anybody like puzzles? And there's this picture on the, on the box, and you're going, oh, this is what it looks like. But can I tell you that what oftentimes happens, rather than us putting together this thousand-piece puzzle, we try to find 500 extra pieces to fit into the puzzle. And by the time we're done, the picture is distorted The picture doesn't look right, and we begin to look at it going, there's something wrong with this puzzle. Can I tell you that's what's happening to our lives today? Jesus says, this is the picture. This is the identity. This is who you are. This is the rhythm. But what you're allowing is you're allowing all the pieces of our culture to try to shape your life. You're trying to go, God, I want you, but God, I want this. The only way you can have this renewal is by figuring out this process of hurry and what you are to look like. 
We referred last week much to this aspect of noise and to hurry. Noise, whether it is external, the circumstances, the relationships, the culture that we're experiencing. And is our culture not really noisy today? How many can say yes? Not just the external, but we're talking about the internal. Anybody have an internal noise? Anybody have self-talk that's not healthy? Anybody ever feel a little bit anxious? Anyone feel a little bit stressed? Do you ever do this thing called worry, even though we're not supposed to do worry? Anybody guilty of worry along with me? Can I tell you, it's not just an external noise, it's an internal noise. And that noise overshadows the voice of God in our lives. Not only is it a noise, but there is a hurry. The actual pace and how we live and what we need to do and what dictates our lifestyle And that I've got to be here and I've got to be there. And if you're a parent of multiple children that you're having to play taxi, remember the taxi stage? I remember the taxi stage. It was was life-changing when Cindy got a driver's license so that she could become the taxi. And parents say, amen, right? But all the things of life, this pace that is not sustainable. Spiritual formation is this process and practice that leads us to a healthy rhythm. So when we talk about coming to Jesus, that's a spiritual practice. It's a rhythm that God wants us to get us on, on, on right timing with him. John Mark Comer makes this statement. He says, why am I in such a hurry, such a rush to become somebody that I don't like? I ask you today, have you been in such a hurry trying to keep up with the world that you actually really don't even like yourself? You don't like what's happening around you. I printed off a little story here, and i got to pull my glasses out to read it. Uh, rather than typing it in my thing, I was lazy, but I want to read a story to you that I think will set this out. The story goes like this. It's the height of British colonialism, and an English traveler lands in Africa, intent on a rapid journey into the jungle, and he charters some local porters to carry his supplies. After an exhausting day of travel, all on foot, and a fitful night's sleep, he gets up to continue the journey. But the porters refuse. They will not move. Exasperated, he begins to cajole, to bribe, to plead, but nothing works. They will not move an inch. And naturally, he asks why. And their answer is this. We're waiting for our souls to catch up with our bodies. Letty Kalman says this in her telling of the story. This worrying, rushing life with which so many of us live does, does for us that just what that first march did for those poor jungle tribesmen. The difference, they knew what they needed to restore. They they knew what they needed to restore life's balance, but too often we do not. Today as we come, we're talking about an aspect of are we allowing our soul to catch up with us? Are we allowing this inner being that God designed and created to be at a pace that is sustainable, that is healthy? Have you noticed how hurry can impact you? Have you noticed that in the process of hurry, that that's when usually accidents take place? Anybody have an accident because you've been in a hurry? Anybody been in such a hurry that you've been so distracted that you hit the curb with your tire when you were driving down the road? I'm guilty. You're wandering. Your mind is, you're in the process of planning and you're outside of, and you're in a hurry to get something accomplished. We live in this world that's bombarding us with an incessant amount of visual stimulus with an incessant amount of hurry, with an incessant amount of noise, that as we walk through this process of life, we become addicted to the noise and to the hurry. We look at everyone else and we go, am I keeping up? Man, they're further ahead of me. How do I keep up with them? 
How do I keep up with society? I'm not doing what they're doing. I need to do more. Anybody guilty? John Orberg says this, hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. It's not just a disordered schedule. It's a disordered heart. And how do we get our heart reordered? How do we get our heart back into rhythm of life that Jesus calls us to? Ronald Rollheiser says this, we, for every kind of reason, good or bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God. It's just the fact that we are too hurried and too preoccupied to build any form of spiritual death and spirit connection. We are more busy than good or bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more in the movie theater, the sports stadium, the shopping malls, and consumed with our digital entertainment and fantasy life uh, they produce in us than we are in church in the time with God. And obviously this is pre-pandemic because we're not back in, we've just taken different liberties. Pathological busyness, distractions, and restlessness are major blocks today that hinder the block, hinder and block our spiritual life and health. Say, Pastor Kevin, so are you here talking to us about our schedules? Well, yes, in a roundabout way. Pastor Kevin, are you talking to us about what we are entertaining our lives with? Yes, in a roundabout way. But I can tell you the most important thing that I'm coming to present to you is I want to call you to a healthy soul. I want to call you to a healthy rhythm. And more than anything that I say today, the Holy Spirit is the one that has to bring truth to your spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that has to come and speak life to you. Jesus tells us this. There's a way of responding to life and needs of the world that either leads us to fatigue and to burnout or to a rhythm of grace and to rest. I don't know about you, but I like the rhythm of grace and I like the rest. I've experienced the weariness and the burnout. Anybody experienced the weariness and the burnout? Anybody here to say, yes, I want the rhythm of grace? Yes, I want to live out of rest? We're going to be talking about that today. Our response needs to involve this, this, this definition, contemplative rhythms, expressing or involving prolonged thought, unhurried ways that open our lives to God, that enable us to offer our best to others, that open our lives and enable us to offer our best to others. How many want to be the very best husband or wife that you possibly can be? How many want to be the best, best child that you can be? I don't have any, well, I have a couple of children that are raised, or a couple of people that, all of us have hands that we can raise. How many want to be the best parent? How many want to be the best employee? I can go through this whole list of things, and you want to go, do you want to be the best at? The only way you're going to be the best at is conforming to what God's called you to conform to. Our first rhythm that we're going to look at is a word that may make a lot of us uncomfortable. It's a word that I don't like, and it's a word called Solitude. It's a practice that God actually lived by, Jesus actually lived by himself. And so we're going to be, we're, we're talk about counterculture this morning. A culture that says you need to be in the middle of all the hubbub of life. Jesus is saying, no, you need to have a life of solitude. This definition of solitude is deliberate, hopeful aloneness. Aloneness with a purpose. Everyone say aloneness with a purpose. When I talk about this rhythm of solitude, some of you may be going to a place of PTSD going, I just isolated for 18 months and I am sick of isolation. Anybody there? Can I tell you that isolation 
and solitude are two different things. Isolation and loneliness are inner emptiness, where solitude is inner fulfillment. That when we step into the presence of God, there's something supernatural that takes place in our lives. Because hurry is such a major detriment to solitude, many of us would ask this question, well, can I hurry? Can I rush solitude? Can I just, can I just do it for a really quick moment? Can I just do it really fast? And I would say to you, if you're married today, I want to ask you a question. Can you rush intimacy? You can have a sex act if you're married, but you can't have intimacy if you try to rush it. It takes time. When we think of intimacy, it's into me see. It's taking time for someone to look at the other person and to experience them mentally, emotionally. It's not just a physical thing. And that's what Jesus is saying to me, saying to us. He says, come to me, into me see. See me. Let me see you. Encounter me. Let me encounter you. And this first step is what we call solitude. Henry Nouwen says this, in solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. Scaffolding is the stuff that we keep ourselves propped up with. Our friends, our family, our TV, our books, our music, our job, our technology. Now, none of these are wrong in and of themselves, but can I tell you today, as a believer in Christ, your first stability, your first place that you go to must be God. Why? Because God is the only thing that will never fail you. God is the only thing that will never let you down. God is the only cornerstone that will not crack and crumble. It's in this stillness and in this silence and in this seclusion that you sharpen the saw of your life. You restore the edge that you need to continue cutting through life's problems. Many of us have come to the end of a pandemic, myself included. And we're at a place of burnout. We're at a place of exhaustion. We're at a place of going, I don't want any more expectation placed on me. I don't want anyone telling me what to do anymore. And we're trying to figure out how do we manage life? How do we cut through the situations of life because the problems have not left us? Can I tell you today, the only way your, your, your saw is going to be sharp enough to cut through the problems of life is that you get into a place of solitude and you let Jesus sharpen your saw. He's got to sharpen your life. He's got to quicken your life. He's got to bring you back to a place of proper living, proper rhythm. It is your private life that fuels your public life. And many of us today are living out of our public life, and we have no private life. Believers, Christians today, in humility and gentleness, Jesus is making an invitation to each of us to come to him. You want to change your life? You want to change your rhythm? You want to change your impact? You want to be the best husband, the best wife? You want to be the best Christian, the best believer? The only way that's going to happen is being formed in his presence is coming into his presence. I ask you today, when are you purposely positioning your soul to be deeply impacted by God? When are you purposely positioning your soul to be impacted by God? Are you waiting for the next worship night to take place? Are you waiting from Sunday to Sunday for that moment to take place? Jesus is coming and going, this needs to be important to you. You need to see the rhythm of your life and are you allowing it to impact you correctly? Over and all over throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus 
exudes power and virtue and heals and does all these things that he does. He preaches and he heals and he casts out demons and he does, impacts lives and he does this as a result of the outpouring of his solitude with God. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him, and he healed, all, healed them of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. When we look at the context of this chapter of Scripture, verse chapter 5, the chapter begins with Jesus stepping into Peter's boat to preach a message to the crowd. He's preaching a message to the crowd, and all of a sudden he turns to Peter and says, Hey, Peter, you didn't catch any fish last night. Put your boat out, and I'm going to do a miracle. And he does this miracle, and the fish just glom the net, and they have to have all these people come to help him pull in the net. Jesus preaches a message. Jesus calls some of his disciples. Jesus heals a man with leprosy. And then we come to verse 15 and verse 16, which is this interlude in the middle of a chapter. An interlude, if you were back in the day, I remember one of the first movies I went to in, in the theater, they used to have interludes. Anybody remember interludes? That there was a pause in the middle of a movie so that they could have you go out and buy more candy and more popcorn? Jesus right now in this gospel, in the gospel of Luke, there's an interlude in the middle of this chapter because he does all these miracles, there's an interlude, and then he comes back and he does more miracles. And my my point today is that this was just a normal day in the office for Jesus. Jesus' life was surrounded by people. We see it in verse 15. It says, yet the news about him spread and all, all the more and all, so that the crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sickness. Jesus was in great demand. Jesus was a celebrity. Jesus could not walk down the street without attention. Jesus could not just go sit by the lake and enjoy the solitude of a lake because people surrounded him. Jesus began to realize that people would come and go, I don't want to talk to Peter and John. I want to talk to Jesus. Can I tell you, sometimes I feel that even as a pastor going, no, I, my pastoral stuff, they can pray. Let me tell you, they can pray and they can pray just as good as I can and sometimes even better than I can. But what's fascinating to me and what's funny to me is going, no, I want Pastor Kevin to do it. Can I tell you today that there's something in the story as Jesus is dialoguing, Jesus realizes he is at the end of his ability. You're going, he's the son of God. But Jesus was wise enough to realize that he was not only the son of God, he was human. Jesus in this day was the only gas station. He was under the continual demand of people who were needy. Can I tell you today that people are still needy? How many are needy? You have needs and you expect someone to meet that need in your life. Jesus realized it and he needed to escape. Jesus was very intentional about pulling away from the public because life was overwhelming. Today, there's a lot of overwhelming stuff in our life. Harvard Business Review says this. The world that we live in is overwhelming. So much is coming our way. The statistics, 60% of U.S. population admit that they are under constant daily stress. 49% of U.S. population are facing financial stress. 26% of U.S. population have developed PCSD. Everyone say PCSD. 
Everyone's heard of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. PCSD, can anyone guess what it is? Post-COVID stress disorder. They've actually come up with a title for it. A third of Americans are dealing with anxiety and stress and depression. Two out of five high school students are experiencing anxiety and stress, stress much higher than has ever been existent in our culture before now. 40% of working class Americans want to quit their jobs due to unreasonable levels of stress and pressure. Four out of 10 caregivers are feeling that their jobs are impossible to accomplish and they feel a sense of hopelessness and that they cannot help anyone. When you go to the hospital, we're talking about caregivers here. We're talking about nurses and doctors. Four out of ten people in the hospital at this moment, they're feeling overwhelmed because they feel hopeless. Have you felt hopeless? Have you felt stretched? Have you felt strained? Can I tell you what we're, what's happening is we're turning to the culture to solve our problem. We're finding, trying to find something to medicate us, whether that is a pill or whether that is an activity. In this article, I didn't write all the statistics down, but can I tell you that alcohol abuse is, has, has risen, drug abuse has risen, child abuse has risen in the middle of all of these things. Why? Because this thing that is there that no one's addressing, we're not allowing our lives to be settled. So I ask you today, what's your response going to be to this reality? How are you going to prevent this in your life? Have you prevented it pretty well? Maybe on the outside, you may not look like you're decaying, but on the inside, you're barely holding it together. There's been moments that all of us have been guilty of this. And the key is this. Jesus regularly withdrew to a lonely place, to a quiet place, to encounter God himself. The key to solitude is God ministering to you so that you have something to minister to others. Can I tell you what's happening is we're living out of an empty tank. Why did Jesus pull away? Jesus was human. Jesus was tired. Jesus was hungry. Jesus, from time to time, even got irritable. He got irritable with his disciples. He got irritable with the... Anybody ever feel irritable? You might say that Jesus was hangry. Anybody ever get hangry? Jesus knows what it's like to feel the burdens of being human. Today, Jesus, someone needs to hear this this morning. Jesus understands the emotions that you're feeling. Jesus understands the burdens that you are carrying. Jesus understands what you encounter at this very moment. He gets it. He gets it. He's not here to judge. He's not here to condemn. He's here to say, if you are feeling these things, let me show you a way to deal with these things. Let me lead you. Would you come to me? If you're weary and you're burdened, would you come to me? Would you take my yoke upon you? Would you, I will give you rest. Would you learn of me? Would you just get in my presence? Would you learn of me? Because I'm gentle and I'm humble. Yeah, there's a yoke that goes along with this, but it's easy. It's light. It's not something that you're going to be buried underneath. So let's look at this verse of Scripture. Jesus withdrew. Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place. First point this morning is Jesus often. This word often is frequently, many times, in many instances, repeated and regular. Everyone say repeated and regular. 
I have to tell you that I love the fact, based on my personality, that Jesus does not come and give a number of times how often is. Pastor Kevin is a rule follower, so if it says it's five times, it's going to be this yoke and this burden, and I'm going, ah, i got to do it five times today. I did it three and I failed. Can I tell you what it's coming from is Jesus is coming with this grace and this humility and this gentleness, and he's saying, I often escaped. Often means that it's regular, that it's repeated. He's not telling you how many times. He's just saying, you need to often do this. When you feel like your life is falling apart, you need to often get into his presence. It is often the case that we wait until we are burned out and that we've tried every other option and there's no other resort except to turn to Jesus. Anybody guilty of that? You're in the middle of a circumstance and you call your friend, you call your spouse, you talk about it, you mentally process it, you lay out the pros and the cons... You're sitting here trying to figure it out. If you need a loan, you're going to go to the bank. Very last resort, we finally turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, what is it you want me to do? Jesus' pattern was completely opposite. He, He pulled off to God's presence the very first thing. Let me give you an illustration. I hate to buy gas. I hate to buy... Anybody here hate to go get your car filled with gas? I hate buying gas. My wife does not thrilled with getting gas, but her perspective of an empty tank and my perspective of an empty tank are two different things. It gets to about a third of a tank in the car, and Ron is going, we need to get gas. And I'm going, there's a third of a tank of gas left. The gas light comes on, and I'm going, no, I can get another 70 miles out of this tank. (laughs) Anybody, Anybody there? I hate to get gas. I hate to drive. It's an inconvenience. My life is too hurried. I don't want to stop and do the unnecessary or this necessary that is going to eventually become really necessary. I can tell you this, I don't want to jinx myself, but I have never in my life ran out of gas. Never. God, please have mercy on me. That's not pride. I humble myself, humbly tell you the truth. But I have too much else to do. Can I tell you that when the stress sets in is when I get into the vehicle and go, Oh, crap, I forgot to get gas. The light has been on for 70 miles, and I have to go to an appointment that I don't have time to stop and get gas. Anybody been there before? Can I tell you the difference? Rhonda is one that stays filled. She stays at a place of where she's getting, she knows she's going to get to a destination. The gas tank for me, whether that's physically, spiritually, or practically in a vehicle, there's sometimes the tension rises at the very last moment going, okay, God, please have mercy on me. Just, just get me there. I won't ever do this again. <laughs> and right now, both of our cars are filled with gas, and I filled them based upon the message that I'm, well, I guess not. They filled, they filled ours yesterday. It was filled before you had it. Hush. True, Rhonda filled it before. We're not going to say that, though. Can I say this, though? Jesus didn't wait until empty. He didn't wait until empty. He didn't wait until he was stressed and going, oh, I just got to get away. 
He wasn't sinning in his attitude. He wasn't sinning with his life. He was coming to a place of going, if I do not sustain the tank in my life, if I do not often go apart, something is going to come out of my life that's not right. Not only did Jesus often do this, but Jesus withdrew. This idea of withdrawal is to leave a particular place or situation to retreat. Everyone say to retreat. Pastor Kevin, I don't have a place to retreat. I don't have time to retreat. When we're talking about this idea of retreating, the definition, the Greek corresponds with this idea that going away in order to take refuge. Finding a place of refuge. Finding a place of solitude. Withdrawing from. He is not stepping aside from his calling. He's stepping aside so he can fulfill his calling. Can I tell you that oftentimes we step aside so that we can just get out from underneath whatever's hitting us and rather than going, I'm stepping aside so I can prepare myself better for what is in front of me. The reality is in Jesus' life, just as in our life, there were forces and storms that are coming at us that we must recognize that we must withdraw to find peace. We must withdraw to get into his presence. The psalmist says this. He declares of God that, God, you're my hiding place. God, you're my refuge. You're my strong tower. You're the place that I run to. And what's sad to me today in our culture, what's sad in my own life is that Jesus is not usually often the first person that I run to. I withdraw to so many other things. Jesus went to a lonely place. Number three, Jesus went to a lonely place unfrequented and remote. There was a level of distance between Jesus and people. There was solitude between him and God and God alone. Why is this so important? Probably the most important point that I want you to hear today. This is so important because Jesus returned to the one who knew him best. Jesus returned to the one who was going to declare truth over his life. What happens often in our lives is that we get depleted and we begin to function out of our depletion and we begin to function based on what the world is telling us that we need to be rather than functioning about what Jesus, what God declares over us. Jesus comes and is hearing over and over and over again that you are my beloved son and who I am well pleased. So every time Jesus stepped out of solitude into the public face, he was functioning in a manner with the identity of God on his life, not the identity of our culture on our lives. Can I tell you today how often, how often you and I function not based upon what God says over us, but based upon what the world says over us. We're looking for affirmation and we're looking for acceptance. We're finding our we see our insecurities. And rather than coming into God's presence and him shoring us up and him being our scaffolding to go, you are my son in who I am well pleased. Kevin, I have called you. I have fashioned you. I'm speaking from, from experience this morning. Can I tell you that like never before have I had to step into God's presence to go, God, who am I? Can I tell you today with confidence, in humility, not pride, today I know that Pastor Kevin is called to pastor Relevant Life Church. I'm called to lead my staff. I'm called to stand up here and to preach the gospel. Where I'm at is where God has called me to be at this moment. And I can tell you in the middle of the pandemic, there were moments that I'm going, God, where am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to act? What am I supposed to do? How about? My identity was shaken but I can come as a moment of solitude to go, God, I know who I am. You've confirmed who I am. 
Jesus didn't just withdraw, he prayed. We're going to talk more about prayer. But this prayer, type of prayer that he was talking about is a contemplative prayer. Instead of it being, I want from you, it's being present with God. When's the last time you just approached God's presence without asking? Asking for something? When's the last time you just got into God's presence and let him speak life over you? When's the last time that you got in to God's presence and just contemplated and let him do the talking rather than you doing the talking? Jesus teaches us this very principle, that unless we are regularly withdrawing, we will regularly wither. Today, you may be like Psalms chapter 1, that your tree is blossoming and flourishing with vibrant leaves, but today you also may be the one where your leaves are curled and dry. Can I tell you today, unless you withdraw, you'll never be, unless you withdraw, you will wither. So really quickly, how do we solitude? How do we solitude? Number one, just really quickly, stillness. Simple, simple word, stillness. You have to stop. Everyone say stop. You have to find a place of stillness, not activity, not busyness, not being preoccupied with something else. You have to find a place of stillness where your mind is able to settle without trying to think about something else. To not move, to rest, to stay fixated upon, to wait. In our culture today, that means you're going to have to turn off all input. That means you're going to have to leave your cell phone someplace else. You're going to have to turn off your digital. You're going to have to turn off the TV. You're going to have to turn off the music. There's a place of stillness. Number two, silence. You have to abstain from speaking. You have to abstain from listening. You have to be committed to be quiet in the quiet. You say, Pastor Kevin, I can't do that. Can I tell you, all, all I'm asking you today is if you'll make a commitment to try five minutes of solitude. I don't want to put a yoke on you. I don't want to put a burden on you, but I want to give you a, a challenge. Would you try five minutes a day of solitude? That you come to a place to say, God, I'm stopping all activity. I'm stopping. I'm still. I'm ceasing activity. I'm going to be silent. I'm not going to ask you for anything in these five minutes. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, what do you do? You listen. You think about God's character. You think about God's faithfulness. You think about his mercies. You quiet your spirit. And you open yourself to listen to what he has to say. Lastly, in this process of solitude and seclusion, to be alone, to remove yourself from all social interaction. This means that you have to be absent from people for a little bit. You've got to be absent from all of the things that are there that could hinder us. Sit and listen. Breathe. Focus and reflect on God. Assess yourself before God. Find your identity in God. I guarantee, I guarantee that if you will take a moment in God's presence, you will leave different than you entered. I guarantee it. If you will still yourself, if you purpose to go into it going, God, I don't want to, I'm not conjuring up. This is not a manipulation. I want to tell you today, this is not a manipulating of God. This is a positioning in your life with God. Jesus had to be healthy in solitude to be effective 
and healthy in the multitude. You want to be healthy in your multitude? You want to be healthy in your lifestyle and your family? The only way that's going to flow is by being healthy in the solitude with God first. Our response this morning as I close. My ask, my request today is, would you commit to breaking the power of hurry and distraction in your life? Each of you know where that is in your personal life. Are you hurried? Are you distracted? What it is that distracts you? Would you commit to finding a space for stillness, for silence, and for seclusion? Pastor Kevin, I wanted so much, something so much deeper today. Can I tell you, if I were to come with deeper, if I were to come with more burdens, then my yoke is going to be a heavy yoke. And Jesus says, this is really simple. I'm, you come, I'm going to be there. Lastly, and I think probably most importantly, will you commit to experiencing God's presence that he can define who you are? Would you commit to allowing him to define you rather than allowing your emotions, your feelings, what someone else might say or not say? Would you let God speak over you? I love these songs that are declarative of Jesus, you say I am. Can I tell you, we need to get back to Jesus, who do you say that I am? Jesus, who do you say that I am? God, this morning, as we close, we come and we ask, who do you say that we are? God, as we look at these things, God, it's not a heavy yoke or a burden. God, I just I pray, God, that you would bring a desire for people to get into a place of often withdrawing with you. God, that they would find life and strength and refreshing. God, I thank you today that you are a God that meets us where we're at. God, I thank you that you're a God that does not beat us into submission. You ask us to submit. Father, I thank you for life. I thank you for gentleness and I thank you for humility. Jesus, I thank you that you also join us in this yoke that makes our burden light. God, empower us today, enable us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. We'll see you next, next Sunday. We have prayer team around the front. If you need prayer, please come. Let them pray with you. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.